Hi everyone. Uh, first and foremost, Happy New Year. Hope you all had a, a very nice festive period. Um, hopefully 2021 is a, is a bit, slightly better year than 2020 was. Uh, great guest lined up for you today. Um, this man, uh, fantastic, fantastic coach, great mentor, ex-Ireland national team coach, ex-South Africa assistant coach, and more recently, Hampshire County coach as well. I'm joined by Adrian Birrell. How are you, sir? Hello, Kazim. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. I wish I had your background. Unfortunately, I'm cooped up with the, with the heating on. Yeah, I know. We, we've got the opposite Yeah, We've got uh, quite a... Uh, quite a hot day. I don't know if you can see the clear sky, clear blue I sky. See, I, the fact that you're sitting outside with a t-shirt on tells me tells me everything yeah. I need to know. Uh, that yeah. you're in you're in, you're in a nice climate. So no, I'm glad yeah. I'm glad glad to see that. Just want to give a special mention first and foremost to the person that lined us. You know, put me in touch with Adrian. I've not been I've not spoken to you for, for many years. So Shane Berger kindly reached out to you and put us in touch. So so thank you very much, Shane. Appreciate that. What I'm going to do with you today then, Adrian, is I'm going to take you through a, a journey. I'm going to test your memory, and I'm going to start it all the way back, born and bred, 8th of December 1960 in Grahamstown, Cape Province, South Africa. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like, you know, growing up there, your family background, a little bit about your childhood. Um, well, I was very fortunate. I was uh, born into a, a cricket family. Uh, a lot of my uncles played cricket and my dad was a, a, a cricket coach at St. Andrews College, Gramstown. And uh, I was basically brought, brought up on the, on the school playing field. And, um, I, you know, I was very fortunate because I used to go to the nets with my dad and listen to him coach. And, you know, he was a lifetime coach as well as a schoolmaster. But, he, you, know, every, you know, every afternoon he was coaching cricket. And, um, you know, I'd have, I would have learned a lot from my you know from that upbringing and it was i'd say a very fortunate upbringing and and sort of laid the foundation for my career in cricket really well the fact that you know you went on to be such a fantastic coach i think what you've just mentioned there's probably got a lot to do with your father because he was yeah you had a direct link to a a coach straight away from from you know within the family must have been a must have been a huge influence um, I, I, as you've said so were you always a leg spinner? Yeah, I was always a leg spinner and and better. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I I was I suppose I can't remember bowling anything else. So yeah, I was a leg spinner. <laughs> so I mean it's a it's a tough art to take up. Was it was it was there any influences in the fact that you decided to bowl leg spin? Um no, I think probably my dad pushed me on to leg spin. He was an off spin bowler. Um, you know, and he played first-class cricket uh, as well as provincial rugby. You know, he was one of those sort of dual sportsmen. But uh, you know, I, I, I don't really remember uh, how it started. But I would think my dad would could have uh, would have pushed a, a ball into my hand and and uh, and sort of forced me to bowl leg spin. I would think uh, maybe it came out naturally. I don't know, but uh, you know, it was. I can't remember really doing anything else. Okay. Um, so when was it, as you, you, so you started your journey, I think you went to St. Andrews as well, didn't you, as a, as a pupil? Yeah. So did they have quite a successful cricket, cricket setup? Yeah, very successful. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a good cricketing school. Lots of fields, lots of practice facilities, uh, lots of coaches. You know, we had, over, we had English coaches come over and coach us in the off-season. I mean, in the cricket season, their off season, um, and yeah, um, yeah, I think it was a good setup and and quite professional for a schoolboy setup, you know. The uh, and then in the holidays, uh, I had access to all those facilities, and you know, it wasn't many days where my dad didn't throw balls at me and, and coach me, and you know, so a lot of my coaching stems from uh, just being around my father and and listening to. Uh, you know, to what he, uh, how he would teach cricket, and and I've used a lot of that in my, in my coaching life. That's wonderful. It's great, great to hear of your father's influence. Um, when did you start realizing you were quite good? <laughs> At about, I don't know if I was really good, Kazim. I, um, I, I suppose 
I was very average, uh, being very a late developer and being quite sort of tall, tall and 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 not very strong. You know, um, I remember hitting my first six when I was about sixteen, uh, and uh, yeah, I sort of was a a late developer at school and only really became a decent schoolboy cricketer in my last year at school. Uh, I would always be a very average schoolboy, uh, you know, A-team and first-team cricketer for my for my school. But I wasn't outstanding, and it was probably in my last year that I, I had a good year for the first time. So when, so when did, so when did things really give you? I mean, at that point, did you think you would go on to play professional cricket then, or was that was that not really in the plans? Um, I think at that stage I was a bit of a cricket badger, as you call it there. Um, you know, I loved cricket and I practiced so hard and had these, you know, these dreams of playing professional cricket. Um, uh, I did a teaching degree uh, at university. You know, I went to the army. We had, we had to go to the army here for two years. And then I went to university in Port Elizabeth, which at the time was a very good cricketing university and, um, and made my way, you know, uh, sort of training to be a teacher, but also it was almost like a professional setup because we had a, a coach called David Trist who ended up being the New Zealand coach. He was a New Zealander wow. and he was an excellent, uh, he was an excellent coach. Uh, and he sort of mentored us and coached us as a group of young players who a lot of us went on to play for Eastern Province from that university setup. So I'd say it was, it would almost be like a, 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 a sort of a county, uh, a county academy kind of thing that, that was set up at you at the university and very you know between lectures you'd go and have nets and there'd be a program that you could go and get this very good coach uh, having a look at you and throwing balls at you and and you'd you'd be in a small little group and I think that was you know that sort of accelerated a lot of us um, and uh, eventually you know a lot of that team would have played you know provincial cricket for Eastern Province. Uh, at the time so when do you get the call up when do you get the the nod to say that you know you did you did you play some b stuff to start with um to, or you know when was contracts and things come into play how, how did how did it go back then well at that time you know you couldn't really live off, off a, a cricket contract you had to have other uh you know other income so a lot of the you know a lot of the the players had other jobs you they were lawyers and they were teachers and they were, you know, uh, uh, people that had other professions that would play cricket and get paid for cricket, but not very much. And sort of Dave Richardson, uh, the ICC CEO recently, he was the forerunner of professional cricket in South Africa. And, I, you know, he, he made things happen on a professional level. And, you know, slowly it became professional. Uh, Kazim, I wasn't a great cricket player. Uh, and uh, from a very young age, I was uh, thrust into coaching uh, mm -hmm. because I can speak Kosa, the you know Nelson yep. Mandela's language. Yep, yep. And so a very forward-thinking politician, a guy called Flip Potita, uh, employed me, and he was on the Eastern Province Board, and he employed me to coach in the townships okay. uh, as when I was still a student, and I would get this second income sort of, uh, you know, coaching cricket. So uh, I started coaching cricket in January 1986, uh, full-time. Okay. And even before that, I was coaching at schools through this, uh, uh, you know, through this this guy, Flip Potkitter. Uh, and, and that sort of paved my way. And then when I became a teacher, I taught one term at Gray High School in Port Elizabeth. And at the same time, I was coaching and, and sort of, I just, uh, I don't know, it wasn't really a decision. I just ended up carrying on coaching and, and, and left the teaching profession. And, uh, you know, that was sort of my, my transition into coaching. <coughs> but at the same time, uh, I was trying to play professional cricket and, uh, you know, I was playing the odd game for Eastern Province. Uh, and, you know, I would be at, at, you know, a couple of seasons captain and, 
of the B side, uh, playing you know the second team and captaining that, but also coaching all along. And uh, um, so you know you had to earn this second income. And fortunately, my second income was coaching cricket. That's great. I mean, I never knew the way you the way you kind of the way it all started out. But I mean, you're modest. You did take 75 first-class wickets, which is listen, no mean feat. That's a as as a good as a good effort. I've faced you in a few net sessions, and you're a you're a handy. Even in recent recent times, you're a very handy leg spinner. But it's safe to say you were made for coaching. I mean, the fact that you've got a teaching profession as well, you know, your people skills, um, speaking and communicating with people comes naturally to you. Your father kind of paved the way. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense that you transition to that. And I'm glad to hear you got those opportunities to coach. But it sounds like you you tried a bit of everything. You you would coach anywhere and everywhere. I can imagine you going into a park and seeing a couple of people playing some cricket and you would join in and coach them. Yeah, well, I I, I coached nine years in the townships and uh, that sort of paved my way for the coaching thereafter because nothing nothing thereafter has been as difficult as those nine years. I was also the the the, the groundsman the, uh, at St George, you know, at St George's for a couple of years as well. So I, I suppose I've you know I've had good foundations in cricket, and and even that has has enabled me to read pitches and and know a little bit more than just a coach would about you know the what we play on and and the preparation of wickets and how they play and how they how the pitch evolves through a four day game and that um, you know that's also helped me a, a lot. But you know I've had a I think I think I've had a good cricket education all round. I've been very fortunate, Kazim. Yeah. Sounds like it from a from a grassroots to a professional standpoint. You know, nothing. School cricket, a bit. You've literally coached a little bit of everything. But did you ever foresee that this would take you on a path that would find you over in Ireland as a cricket coach? So how how did how did the role come around? And and, and tell me a bit about that. That was you know I think back in. 2005, around that kind of time, that you 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 went you moved into moved into that role. Please tell me a bit about it. It was actually 2002. I, I was in the third year of being the head coach of Eastern Province, and the Ireland job came up. And uh, I don't know. I, I was sort of like a. It was a, a bit of a, a a late thought to apply. I think okay. I only beat the application closing date by about a day uh, and then got an interview and and I mean I had a very good job uh, at the time and I hadn't given it a lot of thought at all um, but um, I don't know I, the eastern province job at the time wasn't very easy and you always think that there's greener pastures so <laughs> uh, Ireland is certainly a greener place than eastern province and I don't know. I don't really know why I applied or, or what. And I certainly didn't know a lot about Irish cricket. Uh, anyway, I got the job. And uh, uh, before I could blink, I, I was on a plane going to Ireland. And that was in, in 2002. And I was the coach of Ireland from 2002 to 2007. So you arrive in Ireland. Did you know much at all, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you started doing a bit of research when you started giving it a little bit of late thought, but what did you know about Irish cricket? I knew nothing. <laughs> Seriously, nothing. Um, I knew two players, Andrew White and Nile O'Brien. They were at an academy at Eastern Province. And, um, um, and, and so there was a game that Eastern Province played a warm-up game against the academy at the university, the same university that I was at. And, uh, um, they were there and then I sort of was picking their brains because I couldn't tell them that I'd applied for the job and no one knew and <laughs> and I uh, kept asking them about Irish cricket. They must have thought I was some crazy guy that, <laughs> that uh, you know, had some love affair with Irish cricket but I kept asking them all about Irish cricket and then got the job and then invited them for a bride at my house and, uh, and those are the first two Irishmen that I had I met and um, and you know that that was that was the first sort of a bit of knowledge that I got was from those two players and um, but I, I, my dad sort of asked me um, do I know anything about Ireland I said no I think it's just 
on the left hand side of England. <laughs> and uh, he said, now I'll tell you a story about uh, Ireland. He said, uh, this Irishman um, was in a conversation with God and he, and he said, uh, can I ask you a few questions? And God said, no, not really. Uh, it's not really the done thing, but because you're Irish, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll allow you to ask me three questions. So this Irishman said, um, uh, well, first question, will there be peace in Afghanistan? And God said, no, not in your lifetime. And question number two, he said, uh, will there be peace in Palestine? And God said, no, not in your lifetime. This Irishman had one more question and he said, uh, will there be peace in Northern Ireland? And God said, no, not in my lifetime. And <laughs> my dad said, you're taking on something. It's quite big there. There's lots yeah. of trouble. There's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I went off to Ireland and I really knew nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, just just through talking to people and, you know, getting to know the players and the administrators, uh, you slowly get to learn the business. And, you know, once I learned the business, I was able to influence it in a positive way, I think. Um, and, yeah, you, you just, you know, in any job, I think you just got to understand the business first. and. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of things well, but I think I, I did that quite well. Where I just, you know, got to got to learn what the strengths and weaknesses were, and and the history, and try to get as much knowledge as possible about uh, Irish cricket at the time. So where were you staying when you first arrived over? Were you in Northern Ireland, or were you in were you over in Dublin? Yeah, I had a choice of staying in Dublin or Belfast, and and. My wife is a chartered accountant with Deloitte's and and got a sort of a job at De, with uh, Deloitte's in Dublin. Mm-hmm. So I stayed on the north side in a place called Malahide. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and you know I stayed there for ten years really. Mm-hmm. So how did it, how how did it work with the training and stuff like that? Did you? I, I'm assuming you had to do quite a bit of travelling. Yeah, I would have gone uh, to Belfast quite often and also to. Uh, the the northwest um, to a place called Eglinton uh, and 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 that sort of the, was the hub of the northwest and and we you know coach there and also in Belfast at Queen's uh, University in the in the winter um, and then at various clubs and then also at North County which is just on the north side actually by some fluke I was sort of I lived quite close and so it was it was quite uh, I was on the north side of Dublin so it was easy to commute northwards and the indoor center at North County was quite close to where I lived. So expectation wise um, Eddie you go over to Ireland I'm assuming obviously your first 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 and foremost you want to improve the side you want to you want to better them make what was the what was the kind of expectations put in place by Irish cricket and yourself that you were kind of mutually agreed of what you were expecting out of this role and what they were expecting from you? Well, in two thousand and five, there was a, a tournament to qualify for the two thousand and seven World Cup, and there were uh, I think there were four places up for grabs, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was about qualifying for that. Uh, Ireland needed to qualify for that for me to continue as head coach so I had a three-year contract and if uh, if if Ireland could qualify then I would have had a, you know my contract would continue to the World Cup which it, which which it did so there was a, a tournament which fortunately was in Dublin and uh, um, and it was a build-up to that was quite important to uh, outpace the opposition obviously one of them Scotland and uh, Scotland won that tournament yeah, uh, but it was you know at the time when I got there, Ireland was behind Scotland and Holland and and you know a number of other associates and it was a matter of you know firstly trying to compete and then trying to outcompete your opposition and trying outthink them and and qualify and so fortunately we qualified as second place and and got our got our travelling ticket to the World Cup in two thousand and seven. Yeah, and no, all look. From when you took over the role, you know, the, the, and to where Irish cricket has come, I, be, I really believe you were the, the the start of all the good things that were to come. You had a, you must have been pleasantly surprised when you arrived to see the the 
core of talent that you had. I mean, to to go through, I mean, a lot of these guys have played against the youth to start with, the O'Brien brothers, Porterfield, um, John Mooney, and then you had your, you had your senior guard, the likes of Bray, Trent Johnston, um, Kyle McCallan, um, a, a real a real good blend of players there. Were you were you did they over exceed in talent? Oh, sorry, a, a young Owen Morgan as well, who you were who, who you had the pleasure of of working with. So when you got there, did you did you arrive at net practice and a couple of times and think, bloody hell, these guys are better than what I thought they were going to be? Absolutely. Uh, the captain was a guy called Jason Mullins, and I lent very heavily on him at the start, you know, to get to, uh, you know, because, you know, he was a really good captain. And, uh, you know, at the time uh, he was in charge and, and was running, a, a, a you know, I, I think a good ship. And, uh, and I lent on him a lot. And, you know, in that first few years to the qualification of the World Cup, uh, at, you know, to that tournament, it was very important that those senior players led the way and, and they did. And I was very, surprised at the that the talent that existed in Ireland and also the history you know I didn't know much about Irish cricket and you know I met up with quite a few ex-players and got to learn about the history and uh, you know there was a lot more to Irish cricket than I ever dreamt there was and so it was a it was it was a pleasant surprise uh, with you know being confronted with this with this talented squad and you know, you said it was me that changed Irish cricket. It wasn't at all. It was a golden era of mm. uh, of, of players where you, you know you've mentioned all those names, uh, but it was firstly, you know, it was never forget uh, Ed Joyce as well, who had a great yeah. influence. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many names. Yeah. But, but he helped us qualify. You know, he played in that tournament, and and at the time was playing for Middlesex, and you know he gave up his. Uh, quite a few matches for Middlesex to help Ireland qualify. So there were little things that happened. And ironically, we then, we then faced him in the World Cup. Uh, he played for England uh, against us. But, um, you know, there was, uh, there was a, a really good nucleus of players. And I think what we did quite well is we blended, a, you know, we we're quite fortunate that we had quite a few uh, overseas players that became eligible to play for Ireland. Uh, at that World Cup, at the qualifying. And there was, you know, there, there were uh, four good players that were, that, you know, that gelled well with uh, the seven Irish players, if you, you know, uh, yeah. that that actually strengthened the team, that they didn't have that, uh, you know, they didn't have those that quality of players before that. And I think that that made a big difference. So, yes, you mentioned Jeremy Bray, Andre Boerter, uh, David Langford Smith and uh, Trent Johnson were the mainstays of that World Cup 2007 team. Uh, they were all foreigners to Ireland, but played as Irishmen, and I think they had a big influence. And obviously, the you know the other players of you know that were Irish born and bred, the uh, McCallans and the Owen Morgans, and uh, you know and the Mooney brothers. Gillespie and all those players, I think, you know, blended very well. Uh, and of course, O'Brien. So, um, you know, the, you know, I think it was a good blend and it, it was, it came at the right time uh, to sort of catapult uh, Ireland through the associate ranks into uh, and probably change the landscape for Ireland cricket forever. Absolutely. It'd be great to, great to listen to you talking about the squad and, and how you evolved through the couple of years leading into it. And then you go to the World Cup in the Caribbean. Um, you're, you must be on cloud nine as a coach. You know, you've gone from coaching in South Africa to not knowing what to expect in Ireland. And here you are at a, at a World Cup. What were the general feelings going into the World Cup? Did you truly believe that you could achieve anywhere near what you ended up achieving or... What was what? What were you saying as coach? I want to try to win games, or were you saying I want to win games? We wanted to win the World Cup. Yeah, I like the attitude. I like that. Um, no, I mean it was sort of tongue in cheek, but I mean it was even a song that we sang on the bus. You know, <laughs> going to bring the bring the World Cup home. Um, but obviously, that was a you know a way too far for us. But um, you know, I think we all 
it it was so new and 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 almost like a fairy tale that uh you know it, it was a success just to get there mm-hmm. and then a, 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 almost like a joy every match that you played uh, because you, you were so starved of that that sort of uh, occasion and opportunity uh that it was just you know tremendous for Irish cricket and the followers and you know um and it, it was fantastic to just be on that world stage uh albeit you go there as a minnow and at the time you could probably bank on playing three matches because there was only a pool of four yeah and you know fortunately it went our way and we played in the super eight so we played a lot more than four uh four matches but it was uh was a three matches yeah three yeah, and then you to, to start three. on that i think you faced zimbabwe in the first game yeah. um yeah. and that was a famous draw which straight away kind of got the eyes on irish cricket because it was like these boys are here to compete yeah well we jeremy bray got 118 or 115 or something uh got us to a decent total and then we were losing it fast uh and then kyle was bowling and balls hit back and and Taylor was their number one batter mm-hmm. and he was at the bowler's end and there was a flick onto the stumps of Carl's finger <laughs> and from, from a position Irish. where we couldn't win suddenly uh, we manufactured a win from nowhere and uh, and then Trent put on uh, Andrew White to bowl the last over I thought he's crazy <laughs> could have bowled anyone else <laughs> we bowled Andrew White and we got and and we sort of got a tie from nowhere. It was like incredible. Do uh, you always say it, the luck of the Irish? You do the, the Irish do make their own. They make their own luck, and the, you you know you continue to do it on the big stage. Now you go into the next game, which I believe is against Pakistan. Yeah. Very famous day for Irish cricket. Um, for, it's a very famous day for some great reasons and also for some some sad. Sad reasons as well. Um, I'll start first by saying you go into that game against a, a very box office Pakistan team. What were you What were you discussing in the changing room? What What were the tactics? Well, the pitch took us by surprise. It was green, mm-hmm. and I mean, you play on green wickets in Ireland. You don't play on green wickets in Pakistan. Uh, so that was already in our favour. So it was a green sort of nibbly pitch, and uh, and we had trained for about a year to face Shaab Akhtar, and then he, he didn't play. Uh, and um, and I think they made one or two selection errors maybe uh, that went in our favor. And um, we started bowling, and it went quite well, and then it went even better, and then it went fantastically. And, you know, one of the, you know they all bowled well, but... Andre Boerter bowled eight overs, two for five. Um, you know, I don't know why Trent didn't finish his 10 overs, but, <laughs> um, you know, things went well. And I think I got 137. And and then we started batting. And Nile O'Brien couldn't buy a run. Well, uh, for the lead-up, uh, there was a tournament in Nairobi and couldn't get a run. And he was batting at four and he, and he, and he, was, he got 72. Uh, it was a fantastic yeah. inning. He held it together, and then his brother came in at the end and and played a an innings that is not Kevin O'Brien who he blocked and got us over the line because he was our last batter, mm-hmm. and you know it was part of our tactics to have a batter in at the end, and he was the last batter. And you know we also batted deep. You know, um, you know Trent Johnson was batting at about about seven, and and uh, uh, Carl McKellen who who batted at three for Ireland, batted at nine. So we batted all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was only Boyd and, and Dave Langford-Smith who, you know, that, that were batting at 10 and 11. But, you know, everyone could bat. And so uh, we, we sort of uh, got to a situation where uh, it, it was on the line and Trent, we needed, I don't know, four, six to win, five to win, I think, and he hit a six. And, uh, you know, it was mayhem. Uh, we'd beaten Pakistan in the World Cup. I mean, uh, how ridiculous is that? I remember it so well. I mean, the celebrations and the crowd, the Irish were there in numbers. You know, it, it was, it, it sent waves through the cricketing world. I mean, you must have been just 
on, cl on cloud nine as coach, so proud of, of what you've yeah. achieved. But now you're in a situation where you've actually qualified, you've qualified as well. So you've not yeah, even... Well, I think you mentioned a very sad day as well because Bob Woolman yeah. died that night. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was, it was almost like, you know, that your greatest achievement has now been hampered by this, you know, this terrible, this t horrific uh, um, death, you know. Um, and then it was a murder investigation and it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, it was very trying, you know, you just won your greatest game and then that's tempered by this, this terrible death. And, I, actually uh, great, I actually seen a great picture today. I was just scrolling, looking for some images of you, which there's plenty, but there was one great picture of yourself, the late Bob Wilmer and Enzimamo Hack. Um, you must've been standing on the edge of the ground or somewhere. Um, were you quite, I mean, you're obviously from South African descent. Did, did you have quite any much to do with Bob Wilmer coming through as a coach? Yeah, we knew each other and, you know, we chatted and, you know, obviously after the game, I was like almost embarrassed because we'd beaten Pakistan. And I sort of said, sure, uh, I think the toss had a lot to do with it. And he said, no, you guys uh, play, outplayed us. And he was, very, you know, he was very gracious in defeat uh, and very humble. And, uh, you know, didn't look for excuses. Uh, he was tremendous. And I mean, just a few hours later, he, he, you know, he was dead. It was, it was tremendously difficult to take, you know, that, mm -hmm. uh, that he was there and he didn't look ill and didn't look in trouble. And mm -hmm. who knows, you know, there was an open verdict and, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know what happened. Yeah, no, it was, um, wasn't a good situation. It, it didn't sound particularly great from what was found and everything. And, and you know, the late Bob Wilmer, what, what a coach, you know, I, I think after he, when he, when he passed away, the, the whole world and the influence that he had on cricket in general, was just incredible um and uh you know bit we were uh, even when i go over to i've been over to pakistan he's loved in pakistan you know he's he's so appreciated uh but yeah no it was a very it would have been a, it would have been a strange day for you to look back on because you're on a cloud you're, you know you've got this amazing feeling and then it, you know to to lose somebody like bob as a south african as well must have been a, a, a you know very difficult how do you get your head in the right place you then go into a game against the west indies which I'm pretty sure you lost. You lost that game against the yeah. West Indies. Was there anything in particular? Did, did the team? Do you think the team were were still just recovering from the Pakistani victory and maybe not focused on that game? Um, there was a party, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we were focused on every game. Uh, you know, uh, but you're playing against these Test countries or you know these top countries at the time. They had a number of good players and, you know, we outplayed. Um, I always, uh, you know, and then we got into Super 8s and always had, I, I sort of had this recurring nightmare that we were going to get bowled out for 24. And uh, it would have been sort of headlines in all the papers that uh, minnows are disgraced, Ireland bowled out for 24. Uh, and so, you know, as a coach going into those matches, it's quite daunting because they, you know, they're all very good sides and, and you there as a minnow trying to compete. And, you know, fortunately, we didn't get bowled out for 24. But, uh, you know, it was, it's you know, difficult times. But he had a fantastic game against uh, uh, Bangladesh to win yep. by about 74-run victory. Very, yeah. very decisive victory. Yeah. I, yeah guess that, I guess that showed that it, this wasn't a fluke. You know, when you drew with Zimbabwe, you managed to beat Pakistan. Some people, if you just got lost every single game in the Super 8s, when they said, "Lucky Irish," they got they got lucky and they got lucky in a couple of games. But the fact that you beat Bangladesh kind of reminded everybody that you really can compete yeah. at this level. Well, Kazim, you know the build-up to the World Cup was very important because uh, we we did achieve some very good wins against very good opposition, and that sort of gave the belief that that team could, uh, you know, on their day they could they could beat almost anyone. Uh, you're obviously going to lose most of your matches against those big sides. But mm -hmm. in the back of our minds was, if things go our way, we, we've done it before. You know, we, we'd beaten the West Indies in, uh, in, uh, in Ireland. We'd beaten a good Zimbabwe side in Ireland. We'd beaten Surrey, uh, you know. And there were a number of wins that were very important to the belief of that team that on their day, 
you know they weren't scared to come out and win because you've you've done it before it's always very difficult to do something for the first time but uh you know building that belief was very important that yeah on you know that we've done some remarkable stuff uh, stuff before it can happen again and so you know when things went our way it was you were able to get over the line and that continued i think after that world cup in the next world cup they beat england yeah uh, and so you know that belief continued you know when i said that you were the the kind of the person that started it all i was not certainly disgracing everything that had come from before in irish cricket but it's it's pretty obvious that from the 2007 world cup where irish cricket was prior to that and where it is in 2020 now with them you know they've got test test status and you know they've they've won numerous games since then at further world cups was a sign that the 2007 world cup really launched them into international cricket some outstanding players were made from that world cup uh one name in particular just won the world cup with uh, with england was a young yeah. one morgan did you yeah. did you see that kind of future for him well he's the youngest player to play for ireland i don't know if, you know since then if anyone uh you know I don't think so, but but at the time he was the youngest. Yeah. So he he was he was a, a child prodigy really, and I think he, uh, you know, just to speak a little bit about Owen, uh, he was from, you know, from Dublin, and and he would go over and play for Middlesex, and uh, you know, in in his school holidays, and get on a plane and go over, and so he was very independent. And had a lot of experience as a young guy because he went to three under-19 World Cups, and you know no one from England, South Africa, or anywhere uh, would go to three under-19 World Cups, and he did sort of better three, and and got you know for a, a young player would have had more experience than any other player anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. um, and to play for Ireland at 16 and. You know, I don't care what anyone says. You know, I say this a lot. When when you play for an associate, there's always pressure because there's always a qualification that you've got to play for. And so those matches are, you know, it, it, it teaches you to 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 deal with pressure. And I think that maybe uh, have had a little bit to do with the success he's had with England, that he's, he's always played under pressure. He's been independent from a young player and he's had more experience as a youngster uh, than anyone in the world and so you know he might be irish but you know don't discount someone playing above their age group in men's cricket from a very young age uh he would have been sworn at uh you know they're very competitive in ireland mm-hmm. um so that would have you know paved in way to be a very tough cricketer and i think that that had quite a lot to do with himself uh being becoming a, an exceptional cricketer same as ed joyce you know he had a similar upbringing in ireland where it might be associate cricket but it's actually tough cricket mm-hmm. you know it's it's played on sometimes poor wickets but there's always pressure to play you've got to qualify you've got to you've got to beat scotland and holland and and all the other associates in order to get into the next event and there's no guarantees going forward and so i think it it, it develops quite a tough a tough cricketer does the associate system well, the the Irish in, in particular, from from having experience playing against the Irish, always tough, very, very, very tough, tough made. Um, you know, you, the, what you what you see is what you get, and they, they they come hard at you on the pitch all the time. Yeah. And that that's what that was that's the love of playing against playing against Ireland as well. Do you think that that's why a lot of them went on to then get county careers from the from the two thousand and seven World Cup? A fair few guys went into the county system. Um, Niall O'Brien has been done very well for himself in county cricket. Potterfield has done well for himself more recently. A Paul Sterling has gone into the setup. Um, you know, the, obviously Morgan went from strength to strength. Ed Doyce went from strength to strength. Both played for England as well. Boyd Rankin, so many guys that maybe when you first arrived, they didn't have so many players in a professional setup. Do you think again that 2007 World Cup got people noticing that? Hang on a second, these guys can play a bit. I think it was a bit before that, uh, because there was definitely a, a push from Ireland side to get these guys playing county cricket, mm-hmm. uh, because the domestic system, uh, with all due respect, isn't as strong as a, a county system. 
And so we needed those players to become, you know, play county cricket in order to them for them to get the experience to play international cricket, mm -hmm. which is where you know what the goal was. So uh, even before 2007, I think there was a, quite a push to get as many players playing county cricket as possible and become professionals. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously since then and more recently, Ireland is now fully professional. And the Sterlings have come back, and Boyd Rankin's come back, and mm -hmm. and and they've got a professional system, uh, or you know, in place now. Where uh, you know, I'm delighted that it's there. Um, but at the time, it didn't, it wasn't there, and so uh, you know, we were trying to piggyback on the English system in order to get players to get good quality opposition and good experience. Well, you mentioned earlier on, um, you were saying about. When you were growing up and when you were coming through your first class cricket setup, you had to have another job. Now, yeah. Scotland and Ireland, you know, growing up, coming through a system, I would be playing with guys that were a chartered accountant by day and, you know, cricketer by cricketer for a couple of weeks in the sun and then back to their day. You know, Ireland would have been very much the same. To be able to compete at international level, that needs to, the bar needs to raise and more guys need to be playing professional cricket. And that certainly benefited the likes of Ireland and Scotland having more players in the, in the county setup, and you you know you must be really proud to see that from where your time has come that now guys in Ireland are getting professional contracts. I think similar in Scotland, um, it's it's it, it's it's exciting times. I I I just feel the World Cup itself, the fifty over World Cup, is less it's more difficult now for these countries to get into, and it's sad because if you look back at some of the memorable victories over the last two or three World Cups. They've been by associate countries. Absolutely. Some of the best games in history have been associate you know, countries involved. And it is very difficult to get in now, uh, you know, limited space. And so, you know, associate cricket is where you think cricket should be grown around the world. It's, you know, it's struggling. And, you know, I think uh, the ICC need to try and, uh, you know, again, look at associate cricket to, to build another tier, maybe, uh, and get you know get opportunities to play against the top countries. But uh, you know the future tours program is congested, and now with COVID, you just don't know you know what the future is mm -hmm. going forward for the associates. You come to the end of the tournament. You come back to a hero's welcome in Dublin, I believe. Were you? Were you, you know, do, you, do you have much memory of that? Yeah. Um, uh, it was a great welcome back. And I think, you know, uh, there were a lot of functions that we were invited to and it, it was great. But I'd, I'd uh, opted out of, of continuing with, uh, with Irish cricket and Phil Simmons uh, then took over from me at the end of that tournament. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, quite a, tr a quick transition uh, from myself to him. Uh, straight off the can, ask, can, ask what, can I ask why? Why were your, what were your reasons uh, behind that? Well, my wife was, a, uh, she became a partner with Deloitte's in Dublin and we had two young kids and it was difficult to bring up, you know, to having two, uh, you know, two, two sort of career people. And so uh, I became a house husband uh, for three weeks and then put in my resignation and, and went off to England to coach the England under 19. So, okay. you know, that was the new, uh, yeah, and I, was, I started coaching in England after that. Do you think it was also just maybe a good time to, for, a, for a change? For, you know, do you think you were ready for both you and Ireland maybe were ready to, you know, you achieved great heights and you were ready for different, different, different paths? Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought, I think, I still think five years is a good, uh, is a good stint for a coach and then maybe a different voice. You know, it's difficult to continue forever um as a coach you know there's only one uh you know there's only one or two coaches that have gone on for a, a long period of time in in cricket so uh i think five years is about right and that was five years with irish cricket and and then i moved on to the next sort of challenge you mentioned Eng england under 19s there i'm going to probably fast forward a little bit because you you landed um what i'd assume would be quite a dream job for you um, a few years down the line in 2013 when you were appointed to become the, the South African assistant coach? Yeah, it came out the blue. I was, I was working for the Warriors and Russell Domingo was the assistant coach to Gary Kirsten 
with the Proteus. Mm-hmm. And we were playing golf and we were not in the same four ball. And afterwards, I was getting a coffee. And he came up to me and he said, this was a, this was a, a Wednesday evening. And he said, uh, if I become Proteus coach, would you be my assistant? And I goes, wow, Russ, uh, thank you. I would love to do that. Thinking it might be three years down the line because Gary Kirsten was entrenched as coach. Yeah. And then the next day you get a sort of internal email saying, Gary Kirsten resigns as, as Proteus coach. And then I went to my boss, Dave Emsley, the CEO of, of, of the Warriors and, uh, and EP Cricket, and said, um, have, you, uh, uh, have you heard something about Kirsten? He said, yeah, uh, Gary Kirsten's resigned and Russell's on a plane to go and accept the job. And I said to him, jeepers, uh, yesterday Russell asked me to be the assistant. He said, yes, he did. I know about that. <laughs> and uh, that was a Thursday. And then I got a call from Doc Musaji on the Friday. And then on Monday, I had a new job as the assistant coach of the Proteus. So from the Wednesday to the Monday, my sort of life was turned upside down. Uh, amazing. Uh, but it, yes, it was a dream job. And you, and you had no, no clue or anything within that, within that week. It all happened, you know, just yeah. in a conversation off the golf course. So before you know it, you're at, uh, you know, a, 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 Joining a new coach as well, who you said was the assistant coach to Gary Kirsten, so he was he was already knew of the squad reasonably reasonably well. So, what was it like turning up for your for your new role? How many of these guys did you know? Did you know them quite well? Well, firstly, I knew Russell Domingo very well. I'd I'd employed him as a coach okay. uh, years before. Um, so, and I I coached him. He was he was in one of my teams. Uh, he thought he was very good, but he was actually just average. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, Marcel Domingo became coach, and uh, so I knew him very well. And um, just our first, you know, I, I didn't know how things happened and, uh, or how things went. Uh, you know, I thought maybe you'd go away and have a camp before you went on tour. Uh, next thing I knew that we all had to congregate in the business lounge uh, at Emirates to fly to Sri Lanka for our first tour wow. and got on the plane. I knew all the players, you know, having been involved in cricket, I knew most of them or I'd, I'd you know, shaken hands with them yeah. or, you know, not coached a lot of them, but, you know, there was no one really I didn't know, but I sat next to uh, A.B. de Villiers on the, on the plane on the way to uh, Sri Lanka and uh, you know, it was sort of, uh, it was brilliant. I mean, he was so welcoming. And, and then you meet Ash and he's welcoming and Faf Duplessis and he's welcoming. And, you know, it was, it was, it was fantastic just to get, you know, get involved. And it was a wonderful setup. And, you know, I'm very privileged that I had five and a half years with the Proteus. You mentioned a couple of the players there. I mean, these guys are, are, are legends, you know, unbelievable talents. A.B. de Villiers, first and foremost, how was he to work with? And you said obviously very welcoming. So it was. It sounds like you probably were just loving it, a kid in the candy shop. You know, you've always loved your loved your cricket. Now you're around these these great players. But what was it like working with them on a day to day basis? How much do you actually say to these guys? I mean, what what's the communication like when you're doing a batting session with Ab? Say as little as possible. Uh, <laughs> um, so you, you you get to learn their routines. You know what they do, what they like doing. Uh, you know, on that tour, uh, I remember um, throwing at Hashim and uh, he wanted to finish hitting straight drives. And so I had to come in and throw uh, and I couldn't throw straight. <laughs> and I, I felt so much pressure that, you know, you needed to, you, you just wanted to nail a few past the bowler. And I kept bowling too far outside off stump and he was going just a bit straighter and then it would go and sort of be on off stump and he did hit it through extra cover and uh, just once one straighter and you know it's, it's as you you don't really oh, know a that as a coach you you gotta deliver yeah. a quality uh, you know, a quality product. Uh, so your throwing's gotta be very good, your hitting's gotta be very good. Uh, I remember, you know, AB de Villiers was keeping on that tour or, or the following tour. We were in, uh, I think it was against Pakistan in, in, in Dubai and, uh, or Abu Dhabi, one of the two. And, and he was practicing his keeping and I had to hit with a tennis ball with those sort of hard red slaz ball things. Yep. And I had to hit 
uh, with a tennis racket, sorry, a tennis racket onto a, onto a, uh, a catch it board and uh, he would he would sort of catch. And I couldn't hit the damn board. And I was like so embarrassed and I was thinking, jeepers, he must think I'm a bloody clown, you know? And uh, all you want to do is, you know, do the thing properly. And I play a little bit of tennis and I've got quite a good forehand, but I've had a terrible backhand. Okay. So I was hitting forehands and I couldn't hit the damn board. And then I had nowhere to go. And I tried to hit with a backhand and suddenly I could do it, you know? And it was such a, oh my word, how did this happen? You know, I can't hit a backhand. And so I still hit those ones backhand uh, and found a way. And, and I promise you, he made it so uh, pleasant for me because he kept saying, no, don't worry, don't worry. You'll get it right in a minute. And, you know, and there you're thinking you're just trying to crawl under the, you know, under the turf, you know, uh, he has the best player in the world and you just want to deliver a decent product and you can't do it. And uh, eventually I got it right, but he was so accommodating and they all were, you know, I, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it is daunting. And, you know, for those coaches out there, uh, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you also practice and make sure that you can deliver a quality product and, you know, hitting catches, you've got to make sure that you can do it. In your nicks, you've got to make sure you can do it uh, if you want to, do, you know, coach at a certain level. And uh, so there's also, you know, you've got to have, you, you've got to pr provide a quality product in the hitting and the catching and catching with a mitt uh, um, and also uh, throwing, you know, throwing with a stick nowadays. In my day, we had to throw with an arm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that is very much part of, so what do you do? Firstly, you, pr you provide a good product yourself mm -hmm. and then you look at, at their routines and learn their routines and then look at small things that you can assist with uh, and, and you go from there, small beginnings. So say very little at the start uh, and just uh, as you develop a relationship, then you can say more. Mm -hmm. something you uh, lives on in my memory you, you, you're talking about your coaching skills there and delivering with the feeding and everything else I've never seen anything like this but you used to throw catches or should I say wing catches and to this day I don't think any coach has ever hit the ball that hard at me for a catch but I remember being in Malahide um, and you'd actually, you'd actually done a little stint that we kind of skipped through you actually worked with the Scottish cricket team for a while as well, which was a which was an unbelievable time. I mean, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. What what a great coach! But Malahide in particular, I'll never forget because I was crapping myself. I thought my hands were going to fall off, and you you take a run up and you would just wing these catches. Where did that skill come from? Uh, my dad always had a, a drill, which was not really, uh, you know, you wouldn't learn you, you wouldn't be taught it as a coach where you'd put sort of most aside. Uh, in a semicircle in front of him and he would sling catches so you wouldn't know if you're throwing to the first person or the last person yep. and it would sort of come out uh, anywhere in between and he always had a thing that you had to catch 10 in a row as a team before you could go home yeah, and it was a fun exercise uh, and so I developed from that where you know my dad used to sling these balls and uh, learn to you know a little bit how to sling a ball how did you show? I mean, you must have been all right because you're a leg spinner, but I mean, it must have been you really that we. I remember actually, you've refreshed my memory. We actually stood in like a slip cordon, and I remember now it would come out at different angles, and we went at it. I think it took us a good half an hour, forty-five minutes to take ten in a row. Otherwise, we couldn't go to lunch. And I the, the speed that you were getting off those was did, did did that come out with the South African team? Did they like a bit of the the the, the AD barrel wings? <laughs> um it probably did at some stage <laughs> it, it, it yeah it, it's it's there it's one of the one of the tools no very it's very oh. impressive can you still do oh, can you still do it can you can you still wing them chasm i've just turned 60 so <laughs> yeah i can still throw it uh my right arm is fine my left arm's not so good not so good now not so good no my left arm is not great <laughs> so you know five years amazing must have been five years what did you take most out of working with a team at that level with those type of players you know what was it what was what were the key the, the, the differences as you've come through as a coach that you maybe took on into into further years when you've moved into other roles 
I think it's just the experiences. Sorry, I'm coming inside because my battery's going flat. No problem. Um, no problem. Um, I'm just sorry. No, you're fine. Um, Chasm, um, I think it's just the experiences. You know, every day you are involved uh, in a, you know, in matches, and it's just learning from every situation and every match, and your chats to players, and uh, you know, uh, um, you know, it's just learning from that and and putting it into your sort of playbook, really. And 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 sorry, I'm just. There we no, go. You're I'm fine. Not good at you're multi-tiling. Fine. Um, and, and then using that uh, those experiences to to you know as a menu, something that you can pull up from time to time. Those sling catches is part of a menu, and uh, every now and again it comes up. Yeah. You take your menu back over to the UK, um, and you, you you come over to lovely lovely Hampshire, totally another different setup again. How was your introduction to county cricket? Um, difficult, you know. I never, I never ever thought uh, county. I, I hadn't experienced county cricket, and uh, you know, it, it, there's no breaks, and you go from one format to the next, sort of in the next day. And I'm used to uh, preparing a team for at least a week before a, a particular format. Mm -hmm. And then you go from playing four-day cricket to a T20 game in the next day, and um, you know it's 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 daunting. And although the county players are quite used to it, coaches, you know, particularly South African and and possibly uh, Australian, New Zealand coaches are not that familiar with the the change-ups and uh, and also leading into matches without much preparation, it, it, you know, was very difficult, and uh, I, I, I still find it difficult. And uh, that's one of the challenges that I, you know, I've had to, uh, I've had to try and deal with and come up with a plan to, uh, to do it success successfully. Do you like T Twenty cricket? It's obviously not. It's obviously more of a, a new thing. As from your from from your, your cricketing career and your early coaching career, there wasn't much of it around. How have you how have you warmed to it? What do you think? Do, do you like the format? I do. I, I like fifty over cricket. I think fifty over cricket's a a, a good format. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope the ICC continue with fifty over cricket. T um, twenties is a challenge. You know, um, the shorter the format, the the more uh, structured. You have to be. Uh, you wouldn't think that, but it is. And you know, uh, I, I quite enjoy that because you've got to think a lot and be very structured in how you prepare for the first six overs, and how you prepare for the back end, and how you bowl to protect, you know, to certain players. And so, it's very structured, and and you have to prepare very well. And so, you know, from uh, a few years back when you thought, oh, well, it's just sort of hit and giggle. It's it's far from that. It's actually, uh, you know, it's quite a, a, a it's quite a, an intense match because there's a lot of preparation that goes into just a very short period of time, and there's no time to, you know, three balls, three dots changes, you know, changes the, the complex, uh, you know, the, the complexity of a of a of a match, uh, three, you know, three dots or three fours in a row or two fours and a six and you know it, it, it's so fluid that uh, you've got to be right on the money and and so it's a challenge and it's something I, I enjoy um, but the game unless you uh, as a player unless you're able to uh, evolve your own your own game the game leaves you behind very quickly so there's a challenge for those older players who are set in their ways and uh, they've got to find new ways of doing things because, you know, with all the an uh, analysis that goes on, you get found out very quickly. And uh, it's an evolving game. You know, things, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not. Uh, especially, the nothing... especially the fielding. I mean, you used to, in one day cricket, I think a lot of guys still would be able to hide a little bit. In T20, I don't think there's any hiding places, even short 45. You've got to be on it. It's, a, it's an important position. Yeah, <clears throat> no fielding's big. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a guy with great skill can uh, in 50 over cricket can bat at a runner ball and get a, a runner ball 100. And, you know, it's a fantastic innings. Uh, to go to bat at 150 strike rate takes a different, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different way of playing. And so a lot of players, you know, it's, it's quite easy to get a runner ball in T20 cricket. But, you know, to get your strike rate up to 140, 150, where the best players are, um, you know, that's quite a challenge. It's become very much a 360 game, not yeah. just a power yeah. game. And the best players are those that are able to adapt and evolve their game so that they've got the sweeps and they've got the ramps and they've got options uh, that can access shorter boundaries, and, you know, hitting with the wind and all those little factors that come into T20 cricket. Very interesting. Coming towards the the back the back end now. Um, few questions to just to, to just finish with. First question is: What's the future holding for uh, for your good self? Are you are you back coming back over to England or or obviously we don't things are things are strange at the moment. But what is what what's happening with yourself? Um, I've got uh, one more year of a contract with with Hampshire, and uh, and then we'll see. You know, um, uh, I'm, I really enjoy Hampshire and they. They're great to me, and uh, it's a, you know it's a wonderful county. Um, but obviously, we need to win, uh, like everyone, and so there is pressure to win, and you know we all feel that pressure. And so, who knows? Uh, you know, if we have a good season, maybe the powers that be will say have another one, or or not. So, I, I, and I try not to look too far ahead. Um, but you know, I'm actually just preparing for the season coming up, and giving it a lot of thought, speaking to my boss, Giles, uh, Giles White a lot most days now. Um, and, you know, the, the preparation has been has begun already in my head. And obviously the players are, are fully at it with the other coaches that are doing a fantastic job with them during this time in, in uh, Hampshire. Something, you know, it's all through your career, you can see it quite clearly. You, you have longevity at wherever you go. I mean, you had five five years at Ireland. You had five years with the, the SA job. You've now been with Hampshire now going into your third third year. It's obviously a good sign that you're a, you're a good man. You're a good bloke. People like you um, and you do you do a good job as a coach. Is there, is there any key bits of advice you could give to a coach coming into a role that's going to maybe want to be two, three, four years of what's the most important things to, to try and do? Well, I think communicate, you know, make sure you communicate to players and also your, you know, the hierarchy, whoever's, you know, whoever's in charge of you. Make sure that communication is, 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 is very good. Um, you know, I think that's the main, you know, in the main thing. But also to, um, to think a little bit ahead and have ambition for whichever team you're with, that you can, you know, leave it in a better state than you, than you took it over at. Uh, as and uh, and and you've got to think about um, where the team's going and and you know what players are there for the you know the succession planning of that team. Um, so you've got to think ahead and and not just think of now. You know everyone wants to win now, but you've also got to win next year and the year after. And so you know the um, sort of the building blocks need to be in place for the future as well. So. You know, you've got to think, yeah, now, but you've also got to have an eye on the future. And then I think you've got to have good people around you uh, and make sure that you, uh, you know, you've got, you know, you've got good coaches that you're with or, you know, good management and and then develop a, a team that, uh, that has good leadership, you know, amongst senior players and there's good succession planning for the players and getting good, uh, experience and learning on the job as they come into that team that people can grow and if there's growth then there is longevity I think. Fantastic advice I think um, forward planning is such an important thing like you say you can't don't just look at the, the next couple of games you need you, a guy like yourself probably already thinking about halfway through next season and a player that you're maybe going to be looking at that's maybe not right just yet but you'll maybe want him in in six months time things like that is it's, it's so interesting to listen to. Sarah, I just want to say to you, 
been an absolute pleasure having you on having you on the podcast. Um, one of the most renowned coaches and mentors, like I said at the start, in, in world cricket. And I, I just want to say to you that I'm, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Kazim. All the best and have a good year. Same to you. I'll be looking out for you with Hampshire and looking for a, an, another year contract to be extended on. Okay. Thank you, Kazim. Cheers. Yeah. All the best.